Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Art DeBrien. I'm a pastor, as Dante said, on the south side in the Center Grove area, Center Grove Church. And so this morning, uh, I'm privileged to be here to continue on this journey that you guys are taking through the Gospel of John. And this morning, uh, Kent had, had asked me to uh, talk about and teach on, the God, on chapter 9 of John, which is a long single narrative. And so there, there's a word for this kind of thing in the Bible, if we can pull that. So that word, I, how would you pronounce that word? Pericope. Somebody said it, right? So um, I went to seminary at a relatively late age in my early 40s. And I, I was always struck how in the academic world there's this secret language that's used to set you apart like you're knowledgeable or you're not. And that's going to come in play in the story here. But, but how we say words kind of indicate how we know things. And I want to tell a little story to embarrass my daughter. Um, Allie sitting over here. When she was... <laughs> When she was uh, very young, I have this, this uh, vivid memory. Uh, she was in the back seat, and I'm driving, and we came up to a stoplight, and there was a Popeye's restaurant on the corner. You guys are familiar with Popeye's fried chicken, right? Um, and so Allie kind of leaned over and looked out. And she said, Dad? I'm like, yeah. Why is that restaurant called Pope Yes? <laughs> If you look at it, Popeyes, it could be Pope, yes. I'm like, I'm like, exactly. And so how we say the words, it, it matters. And so, yes, that's called a pericope, even though I, in seminary, called it a pericope and got laughed out of my class. Like, oh, everybody knows that's a pericope. So what's a pericope? It's a self-contained story. It has a definitive end, or beginning and end, and there's a middle, and there's a specific lesson or message that comes out of it. And so we're going to deal with that this morning. In John 9, we are going to explore a number, well, we're going to see a number of different themes that pop up. And this, uh, it's all centered around a miracle and the spiritual implications of that miracle. In other words, how people react to that, how people see that and, and interpret that and what that means. Because it's so long, uh, I thought we would tap into a more thespian kind of, see thespian, technical word, uh, to, to explore that. So I'm going to invite Satchel and Kent up here, and we're going to do more of a dramatic reading of this as a way that's easier on the uh, ears. Now, if you're going to search around, like, where can I read along with this? This is a paraphrase that we came up with, that I came up with. Borrowing from the, uh, the message and the easy-to-read version. So I just didn't pull it out of thin air. But anyway, uh, let us hear these words from this book that we love. While Jesus had been traveling with his disciples, and they came upon a man who had been blind since birth, in those days there existed a common misconception about the cause of blindness. It was believed it was a result of sin, so they, the disciples asked Jesus, Teacher, why was this man born blind? Whose sin made it happen? Was it his own sin or that of his parents? Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. 
You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. Look for the one who sent me. Look while it is still daytime and the sun is shining, because when night falls, the workday is over. But as long as I am in the world, there's plenty of light. I am the world's light. Then Jesus spit in the dust, made a clay paste with his saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes, and said, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. The man went and washed and saw. Soon the town was buzzing, his relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging were saying, Why, isn't this the man who sat here and begged? It's him, all right. But others objected. It's not the same man at all. It just looks like it. But the man himself, the one who was blind, said, It's me. I'm the one who used to be blind. People started asking him, How did your eyes get opened? A man named Jesus made a paste and rubbed it on my eyes and told me, Go to Siloam and wash. I did what he said, and when I washed, I saw. So, so where is this man, Jesus? I don't know. The crowd was confused and maybe a little angry. So they marched the man to answer to the religious authorities because all of this had happened on the Sabbath. The religious authorities challenged him with the same question. How had he gained his eyesight? He replied, he put a clay paste on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. A dispute rose among the religious authorities. Some said, Obviously, this man called Jesus can't be from God. He doesn't observe the Sabbath tradition. Yet others, How can a bad man do miraculous? Do the miraculous. God revealing <coughs> things like this. Since they couldn't agree, they again went back to the man who had been healed and asked a second time, but this time in a different way. Since it was your eyes he healed, what do you say about him? Uh, he is a prophet. The religious authorities refused to believe that this was a miracle. A blind man being given sight had actually happened. So they decided to ask the man's parents the question. Is this your son? You say he was born blind, so how can he see? The parents replied, we know he is our son and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he came to see, having a clue about how he opened his eyes. Why don't you go ask him? He's a grown man and can speak for himself. Privately, they were afraid of the religious authorities. The religious authorities then brought the man back for a final time and told him, You should honor God by telling the truth. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know if he is a sinner, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. What did he do to you? How did he heal your eyes? I have already told you that, but you would not listen to me. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his followers too? You are his follower, not us. We are followers of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. This is really strange. You don't know where he comes from, but he healed my eyes. We all know that God does not listen to sinners, but he will listen to anyone who worships and obeys him. This is the first time we have ever heard of anyone healing the eyes of someone born blind. This man must be from God. If he were not from God, he could not do anything like this. How dare you take that tone with us? You were born full of sin. You are nothing but dirt. And you're trying to teach us? Then they threw him out in the street. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and went and found him. He asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Point him out to me so that I may believe in him. You're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Master, I believe. The man then bowed down and worshiped. 
Jesus leaned in and said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear, so that those who have never seen will see, and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Some religious authorities overheard this conversation and said, What? Are you saying that we're blind too? Are you calling us blind? Jesus replied, If you really were blind, you would be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you're accountable for every fault and failure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thank you, gentlemen. There's a lot we could take away from this detailed story. So many, so many details. We could explore this idea of Jesus calling himself the light of the world. Uh, We could talk about Jesus's power and authority and and then our corresponding uh, uh, reaction of belief and faith. We could talk about the symbolism of the saliva and the clay that he put in the blind man's eyes. Uh, We could talk about a Sabbath controversy that this all took place on a day when no work was supposed to happen. Maybe we could even talk about the parents' fear and then the the surprising boldness of their adult child. We could talk about rejection uh, and persecution, uh, the rejection of Jesus' miracle and then that persecution of throwing him out of the faith community. But today, I would like us to talk about what I think is the central theme of this whole chapter, spiritual blindness. And the emphasis of the story is this contrast between physical blindness and a spiritual blindness. Um, The religious authorities are obviously set up as ones who are supposed to have spiritual vision or clarity. They're, They're able to see what God is after, and obviously in reading this story, as Jesus had concluded, they were blind and therefore they were not blameless. So what's really intriguing to me in this story, because I'm a studier of people. I I love group dynamics. I get really invested in that. All these people in this story were of the Jewish faith. And in the Jewish faith from a very early time, you are taught the Shema. So the Shema is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And obviously Jesus then goes on to do an amendment to that. He says, with your mind and with your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But even if we go back to that one, we we see those three things, that, that the heart, the soul, and the strength. And this morning, I would like us to, to think about that in our own context as we deal with the the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So here's here's an idea. Let's let's talk about the first one when we pick up um, the heart thing. And I'm going to use this kind of as, as a physical representation of picking up the heart. And so when we look at heart, we think maybe of of intimacy. When God becomes very, very real to us, we we feel God's presence. Uh, We feel his love. We we experience, if you will, his protection. We know that he is in and around us. But the one thing about this kind of feeling is, is that it's completely subjective. 
I can't like pull my heart out. Well, I could and give it to you. I drop dead physically, but if I I can't share what I'm feeling, I can only tell you what I'm feeling. I can only express what I'm feeling, and that doesn't necessarily make you feel that. So it's it's very uh, subjective. Doesn't make it any less true, but it it's. It's not what uh, is easily shared, is I guess what I'm saying. The second thing that we can do is the mind, which we could call knowledge. So we could, we could pick up knowledge, and knowledge uh, will inform us about the character of God. Who is God? What are his attributes that we're looking to? And we perceive this. We start to have a sense of understanding, if you will, uh, it's also very logical and it's rational, but the one thing about knowledge, as opposed to the, the intimacy and, and love, is that it's objective, that I can tell you something and you can receive it in the same way that I know it. So it's a sharing of information. It provides us that something coherent and easily transferred. And then the final piece that we would talk about is um, the, the, the strength, or what we might call the will. And this is our part of being able to respond. Uh, the, God gives us this status of being his children. And so how do we live into that? Uh, he's given us rightness, and so how do we respond to that? And again, it's, this is an uh, active kind of thing. So Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to do a little something different. I cleared this with Kent. I want you to uh, spend five minutes talking about this. Uh, I'm sorry, let me back up and explain this. So the heart, mind, and strength we could also call the emotion, the intellect, and the obedience. Okay? So if we go to the next slide, here's the question. In your pursuit of God, what did you pick up first of these three things? Now, I know you guys are a very smart group and you might get ahead of yourself and say, well, actually, I pick up many of these things. And uh, I want us just to examine, like, what did you pick up first in your faith journey? Or maybe you could explain it as, what do I pick up more, the most often? What's my go-to thing that I pick up? Do I resonate with the emotion or is it really about the intellect or the obedience? And I'm going to give us five minutes to talk uh, in your group, however you want to self-organize. If you are an extreme introvert, just contemplate it then, and you can do it on your own. <laughs> just give you some time to think about it. So here we go, five minutes. I'm going to set it on my phone, and ready, go.
So one minute warning, one minute warning.
Everybody report in. No, I'm kidding. Um, I meant to say this at the outset. My hope, I've, been, I've been toying with this recently, this, this whole idea that I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. And I would really uh, welcome feedback on that, some sort of your perspective or like what resonated or what needs clarification. And so I would invite you to uh, funnel that all through Kent and Satchel. Um, <laughs> they'll be my filters um, as we go. So next uh, is that we rarely stick with just one. Uh, and I think that's because we, we have maybe two hands. And so we'll pick up another one. So after we have the heart, we're going to pick up something else. And uh, I'd like to go through those three options with you, what they are. And, and I'll tell you which one in my faith journey, I, the, the two I picked up. So uh, let's start with the first one, the heart and the strength or the emotion and the obedience. What does that look like? Well, there is this emotional motivation when you have the heart and then you add to it uh, the high degree of self-discipline, of obedience. And honestly, when I think I've encountered these kinds of people, the smartest, nicest people in the world, they believe in a good God and they sincerely want to uh, obey. They, they want to follow God. And indeed, the Shema means literally to hear and obey. And I wish we had more of this type, as we'll see, um, in the churches, but they tend not to show up in the churches. Of the three, it's probably the rarest. Um, I think, I would guess, I should say, that most people who profess God fall into this category. They're just not in churches. And again, we'll, we'll talk about that. But notice the missing piece there, the, the intellect of the mind and knowledge. And so what happens is when we pick up these two things is that we minimize the knowledge component of the, the faith traditions that have come before and most importantly, the scriptural accounts. Um, and what happens is that if we get stuck here, the, the value of the heart is such a high degree that it just can't reconcile with knowledge. The hard and challenging things of scripture, of what God teaches us and what God invites us into. Um, and so t the, they, they don't show up here because it just doesn't feel so uh, great. And if we get stuck at this stage, you become what, what I call a farm cat. And trust me, we're all going to get named whatever two we pick up, so be prepared, okay? Don't, don't laugh too loud because uh, we'll see what, what, where you might fall. Um, farm cats are really great. Uh, my in-laws own a farm and it's overrun by farm cats. Farm cats will, will come up and nuzzle you and they, you know, wrap around your feet and they'll take your food and everything. But if you try to pick them up, sometimes they'll let you. Most times they won't. They'll run away. And farm cats can't live in the house. They, they just, in fact, they don't even want to live in the house. It's too much loss of freedom. And so farm cats are really, like, we're going to exist out here. And, and we're going to live in our own little world of our own making. 
And that's what I think happens when we just pick up the, the heart and the obedience and, and stop there. So uh, the next one, the uh, intellect and the obedience. Um, here, th this is a, uh, a thing where we, we value knowledge and then we want to sort of uh, put it into play. We, we really want to live it out. And this is a good thing. Um, people who, uh, they really love the biblical account. They really take it very seriously and they want to be all about that. But notice again the missing piece of the emotion. That the, out of the three, the, the heart piece gets uh, dropped out. And again, in the church world, uh, there's a lot of people who will end up in churches that are this. Uh, in fact, they would say to miss church would be an anathema, another technical word that I've learned in seminary, um, which means to, to be completely contrary or like to, to, to be a great sin against God. And so, uh, if church is open, they typically are there. Um, but the missing piece of the heart and the emotion, if we get stuck there, there is a danger of becoming a guard dog. A guard dog loves the master, does anything for the master. The guard dog there is to protect the truth against anybody else. And if you're familiar with guard dogs, they're not very easily approachable. They're, they're, you don't pet guard dogs usually. You, you give them a wide berth. You, you're like, okay, you just stay over there. Um, but guard dogs, again, are motivated to protect what they see as sacred. Um, it's just for the rest of us, they seem a little bit uh, unapproachable, maybe even a little bit uh, unsafe. And then finally, we come to the, the third one of the emotion and the intellect. Um, we embrace intimacy with Jesus. We, we love the, the uh, invitation to pray and experience God and, and to experience the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we're also, and I'm using this in a uh, possessive pronoun because this is me, um, we're activated, stimulated by biblical knowledge. Like the knowledge piece is great. And, and we also are, we love God and we feel his intimacy. But what drops out of that is that, uh, that piece of the uh, obedience, where that, that's not such a high value. Um, and so we end up becoming what I call wayward sheep. Now, don't call us lost sheep. Uh, we still hear the voice of the shepherd as a wayward sheep. We, we recognize the voice, we, we were moved by it, but we're selectively obedient. We can be stubborn. Sometimes we hear the Lord call to us and we're like, oof, and we'll, we'll trot right towards the, uh, the, the shepherd's voice. But there's other times when we're like, nah, that's okay. I'm going to go this way. And the value tends to be this idea of 
sheep as a flock animal just wants to be with a bigger flock. And so they will, they will drop out the obedience at, uh, at the desire of making the flock bigger. Um, and so if we look at all three types here, we have a farm cat, a guard dog, and a wayward sheep, and those are the three things that are in play. I just want to uh, ask us, looking in the, all three as a discussion question, in your pursuit of God, which two of these three is natural to pick up? Which two do you find that you're like, oh, yeah, I go knowledge and obedience, that's me. It's the first thing that I'll gravitate toward. Or am I more uh, both obedience and, and the heart? Or uh, what two do I have left? Uh, the knowledge and the heart. So take five minutes, I'll reset my timer, and again, just kind of discuss that. See if that makes sense to you. Maybe you can detect yourself in there. Ready? Go. <laughs>
separate from the group. He's <laughs> like, nope, we don't want to do that. Okay, one minute warning, one minute warning. Okay, let's, uh, let's bring it back. Um, again, I've been kicking this around for a little while and I don't have a lot of data to see if this makes sense, but if you are willing, and you don't have to by any means, uh, how many identify as a farm cat? Okay, I love farm cats. How many are the guard dogs? Okay. And how many wayward sheep do we have? That's, look at that. There's an, there's an equal distribution amongst you, and that is, that's wonderful. But we know with God in, in, in the Shema, right, is calling us to the heart, mind, and strength, that, that we have to, to exercise emotion, intellect, and obedience. And how, what's the challenge there? How do we... Like, it seems like God gave us two hands to pick up two things, and now he's asking us to pick up three. Indeed, you know, Christ died for us to, 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 and, and was resurrected that we would have this capability. And so I got to thinking about, like, how do we do this? And um, I think it is, a, for lack of a better term, it's spiritual juggling. Juggling story, when I was in college, <laughs> when I was in college, all my friends went on spring break down to Florida, and I got stuck. I'm like, I get, I'm staying behind, because I was poor, and they said, one of them threw me a book, and, and it was Learn How to Juggle, and I thought, doggone it, I'm going to do it. He gave me three bean bags, and, and so I learned how to juggle over that week, and and so the Lord gave me this idea a couple of weeks ago about, yeah, you got to spiritually juggle. I'm like, I already know how to juggle. I learned that in college. And so then I ordered three balls, and then I was like, but see, like I used to be able to, so then I'm like, okay, let's, and I actually have been practicing for two weeks. But I, okay, let's one more try. Okay. The spiritual disciplines, what God is calling to us is spiritual maturity. And that means, yes, we hold two and one is up in the air at all times. But it's coming down. It's going to come into play. And so we have to put something else aside and catch it. And then use it, metaphorically. And I think God is calling us into that 
spiritual juggling, knowing that sometimes we're just holding two, sometimes we drop one and we have to stop and pick it up and then start over again. To not get defeated, but more importantly, not to get content with like, oh, I'm juggling, I'm juggling, because we're only holding our two most comfortable. And, and this thing down here, that can stay down here, because that's just hard work. God's inviting us into holding on to all three things, knowing that it takes practice. It takes learning. You have to learn how to juggle, and then you have to practice to become adept at it. Because if you neglect it, as I learned two weeks ago, you've got to learn it all over almost. You have to start practicing it on a daily basis. So for the, your uh, MC groups this week, I think most of your MC groups are meeting, I want you to take this question. In your pursuit of God, how do you attain spiritual maturity? How do you learn and keep practicing the art of juggling those three things of the Shema? So I'm going to leave us there, uh, as is the tradition here at Soma. Um, we do communion. And so uh, you will come down the center aisles and come back here. And in the center will be the uh, bread, of the gluten-free bread, right? And then two other baskets of regular bread. Um, so I would like to pray for us uh, as we get ready for that. Oh, holy, beautiful, wonderful. Father, you're in heaven and your will is being done there as we know as it is being done here. And we thank you for that. We love you for that. And we are so privileged to be invited into that. So Lord, today we ask for daily bread for this day. Lord, the, the, the bread that we might start to seriously step into the act of juggling the, the commands of the Shema, to, to love you through our heart, through our mind, and with our strength. And that we would do that every day. And that we would practice our juggling and that we would have the humility to know that we can't hold them all at the same time, but we can hold on to two of them and keep one in suspension and, and knowing that it's going to come into play and setting something else aside. And so, Lord, that's hard. Just give us encouragement. Give us grace when we drop the one or two of them and, and encouragement to pick them up again and to keep going. Uh, Lord, uh, forgive us our sins, our, our shortfalls, our, our criticism of ourselves, our criticisms of others. And let us be forgiving to others. Let us express the most important thing that you gave us to others, which is your grace. Lord, don't test us. We stink at it. Protect us from evil. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. And all God's people say,